0: Welcome to the Westside Investors Network. WIN, your community of investing knowledge for growth. This is the Real Estate Professionals Investing Podcast for real estate professionals by real estate professionals. This show is focused on the next step in your career, investing. Thank you for listening. And please, if you like our content, rate us on your podcast provider. Just a quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are for educational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any shares or securities, make or consider any investments or take any other action. And now, AJ and Chris Shepard. We've got an amazing guest with us today. Gino Barbaro is the co-founder of the Jake and Gino Real Estate Empire. They are best-selling authors of three books and certified professional coaches. Today, Gino talks about developing core values, goal setting, and how to implement this with your team members to achieve incredible focus, which drives results. He shares how creating a picture of what you want to be in the future can greatly influence what you will do today and breaks it down in chunks that allow you to eat that elephant one bite at a time. So without further ado, let's welcome Gino Barbaro. All right. Well, today we've got Gino Barbaro on the show with us from the Jake and Gino podcast. And he's the author of three best best-selling books. Gino, just thank you so much for coming on the show. We're excited to talk to you today. Do you want to just give us kind of a quick rundown about yourself and maybe a little bit more about yourself?
1: going to give you a 10-second overview of myself, and then I'm going to ask a couple questions for the entire audience. Father of six kids, we homeschool our kids ages 21 to 7, got an amazing wife, got into the real estate space about 2011 with mentors. Jake and I bought our first deal back in 2013. We, since so we've been able to scale up and we control over hundred million dollars in assets. We have 1500 units under our ownership and it's been a great run for me as far as an entrepreneur. And you know what I want to really start out the show with, I know you guys were talking about, we want to get more people into the investing space. So I have one statement for everybody And it's really hit me hard when I was in the restaurant and I was working for my money, my W-2. Transactions pay the bills. Equity makes you rich. Bottom line, end of story. You think Jeff Bezos was counting his nickels when he started Amazon? No, he was thinking of the equity, his ownership. And that's what we should be looking at as real estate investors. And the question that really hit me hard back in 2008 and 2009, I want everyone to think about this question. Are you working hard for your money or is your money working hard for you? Back in 2013, I had three small streams of revenue: my restaurant, I had a little coaching gig, and I had a fourplex. Today, seventy years later, I've got over thirty streams of revenue. I was working hard for my money, and I still work hard for my money. But right now, my money is working a lot harder for me than I am for it. That is the ultimate goal: to turn you know money that you're making, earned income into what you want to call passive or or equity income, that kind of income there. So think about that. And you know what? It will not happen overnight, and it's not going to happen overnight, but it's not going to take you 20 years to do it either. In a few short years, I've been able to transform my life just by asking myself those tough questions and surrounding myself with people who are much more smarter and much more capable than me. You know, that...
2: Reminds me a lot of our dad, who's all his motto is like he wants to be earning money while he sleeps. And, mm-hmm. you know, we were extremely lucky to learn from him. And those those questions are are just incredible when it comes to switching mindset from a transactional mindset to a wealth and a growth mindset. So
1: mm-hmm. So let me take it one step further. You know, right now we're not taught this in school. And even I wasn't taught this in school. And I had two very intelligent parents. They're both immigrants. They're both hard workers. But 30, 40 years ago, hard work could make you rich. It could make you wealthy. Nowadays, you just can't work hard. You have to learn how to work smart. And we were talking before you know we started recording. How do you start doing that? And, and for me, five, six years ago, I met one of my mentors, I mean to very big into coaching, personal development, mentorship. I've spent hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars on the space, bettering myself. And I've also lost hundreds of thousands of dollars investing. We make mistakes and we try to get better. But my point was, once we started diving into core values and really making values-based decision-making, that will change everything for your life. Right now, we are in instant gratification. I have students tell me, Well, I need a deal. I need a deal. We look at things in the three month, six month, nine month, 12 month window when we should be looking at deals in the decades. Don't worry about what's going to happen next year. If you're going to buy a deal, is it going to be good for the next 10 years? We had Dr. Peter Linneman, you know, Wharton educator, and he was talking about it. He's an economist, he's seven years old. He's amazing. Look at deals through the decade window, not through the de- you know, year or two years. Two years are going to be great, two years aren't going to be so great, and six years are going to be on average. We have this instant gratification. That's the problem. So with values-based decision-making, we need to flush out what values we want to aspire to. We all have different values out there. And what I've noticed from the people who are super successful, we've created a hundred-year mindset. And what does that allow you to do? Take a look at your values through the long term, through the spectrum. Become a responsibility junkie. Focus on what values are going to work for you. For me, it's all about family. It's all about creating wealth. And it doesn't happen overnight. It takes years to build a business. So I can do a quick little scenario with everybody. What I want you both to do right now, real quick, just close your eyes real quick for me. Okay. Close your eyes. Okay. Now, what I want you to do, I want you to picture yourself at your funeral. We're going to do a little Stephen Covey. Start with the end in mind. Now, what does your funeral look like? What's going on in your funeral? Right now, you have people around you, hopefully. Right now, maybe raining outside. If you have children, if you have people walking around, are they happy? Are they sad? Are they really you know, there to promote what you've done for your entire life? Do you have anybody there? What does that picture look like to you guys in your mind? Right? Let that simmer. Let that fester. Let that brew. Now, when you open your eyes, come back. I've done this exercise several times. You're going into the future. You want to see what you're going to be like in the future. Now, let's reverse engineer that. For me, I'll share you real quick what it looks like for me. For me, 30 years from now, I've got six kids. Hopefully, there's going to be 20, 25 grandkids around. My kids are singing. Like I said to you, I can start singing for you guys. This is what I want to hear at my funeral. Salve Regina, Mater Vita Dulce. I want a happy funeral. I want people, I want the Jake and Gino community there saying, This guy helped me become financially free. He changed my life. Now, how do I do that? I have to reverse engineer those pictures, right? I have to reverse engineer Father Gabriel sitting there saying my eulogy and saying he was an amazing person let's get back into the present. What do I need to start doing today to hit that picture 30 years from now? I need to continue to educate myself. I need to continue to grow as an educator, as a mentor, as a father. I need to be a role model to my kids. I need to show my kids that family life is amazing so they'll have their own kids. And that's what my path is. Now, every decision that I'm making from this day forward is really a tribute to what that picture looks like. If it's going to deviate me from the path, Then I say no to that. For instance, if I want to get into a partnership with somebody, is that going to help me get to that picture? And if it says no, no, and it it helps me avoid the shiny object syndrome real quick, and it helps me avoid making decisions for six months or 12 months. I want to live another 30, 40 years. I need to start eating healthier. I need to start exercising more. All of these decisions that we make, that we take for granted, and we don't make them consciously, we make them subconsciously, we really need to create that picture in our minds and think about that picture and then come back today and say, this is what I need to start doing today. And it's hard because we want to see results right away. They always say Rome wasn't built in a day, and neither is an amazing life, and neither is anything that's worth amazing getting to. It's not going to happen overnight. It takes a lot of work. But you're looking at somebody who, within five or six years, completely transformed their mindset, their life, their ability to impact others. Just by forming that picture and working towards that picture every day and, you know, being lucky enough to have an amazing wife and being lucky enough to have an amazing partner and an amazing community with Jake and Gino, it doesn't happen by luck. You just continue to work harder and whatever you put out, the energy you put out and the emotions that you put out usually come back into your life. So... I hope that exercise was, was helpful for you, but for me, that that's what it really comes down to. We don't really think about our long-term prospects and the future. We're just so focused on what's going to happen today, next week, and next month. Whereas if we start focusing on what's going to happen a year, two years, a decade from now, all the decisions we make today are really going to impact our kids and our grandkids. Yeah.
0: Gino, that is awesome. i Really like the idea of looking out into the future, my brother and I, we set stretch goals of like 10 year goals and then, you know, kind of try to re- reverse engineer our way back to like, well, what is it? What is like our next step in the next like week, even even like, like next couple of weeks. So mm-hmm. that is that is great. In talking about leadership, though, you mentioned like this vivid vision and you mentioned core values, too. I was curious. I think when we were talking earlier, you said that everyone on your team knows your core values. So, can you can you explain to us what your core values are and how you maybe come came to develop them and why they're why they're important?
2: Oh, and also, can you throw in you know how you're infusing that into the culture of your company and how like how each person is really. You know, diving into the core values and and trying to live them.
1: Absolutely, those are those are two really great distinct questions. The first one, how we came about, really is like I told you, I had one restaurant for twenty years, twenty something years, and I was trading time for money. I didn't have core values. Every time I hired somebody, I may have hired the wrong individual. It was always their fault. It was never my fault, right? I'm, I'm a great employer, but without core values, without a mission statement without guidance, what kind of a leader can you be? I had no systems. So we start buying multifamily, Jake and I, and we're at about the 600 unit number. And we're like, wow, this is really an entrepreneurial venture. And that's what we teach to Jake and Gino, that it's becoming a multifamily entrepreneur. It's really building an amazing business. So we decided to hire coaches, scaling up coaches, and they dove through in the next you know, 12 to 18 months with us about creating core values, about creating a mission statement, cadence of accountability, whether we have our daily huddles, our weekly huddles, our level 10 weekly meetings with our team, those are so important. And, and all the amazing companies that you see out there, whether they're Apple, whether it's we love Chick-fil-A, we want to become the Chick-fil-A of, of apartment investing, they really have core values and they hire and they fire based on those core values. So now every time we make a hire, we show them the core value. That's one of the very first things we want, to, we want them to be a fit. I think Steve Robinson said it best on my podcast There's the three C's. Character, competency, and chemistry. Those are the three C's that we're looking for when we're hiring part of our core values. We want a person of character, and we, but we need to be people of character to be able to hire that. We want them to have chemistry. We want them to be able to work with us. We want them to know our core values, right? And obviously, competency. They need to know the job. And if they don't, we can always teach them teach them the job. But we ultimately hire and fire our core values. I was had the pleasure of podcasting Cameron Harold twice on the, on the second podcast we just did with him a few weeks ago. I read his book, Vivid Vision, and I would tell everyone out there, read the book, Vivid Vision by Cameron Harold it will allow you to write your own vivid vision he goes down it's a really you know business plan that takes a deep dive into what you're trying to accomplish in your business for us and now that i have it i've shared it with the internal team the team is all bought in we're all going in the same direction but our core rallies are simple they're people first make it happen extreme ownership unwavering ethics and growth mindset i don't know if one is more important than the other But I think ultimately people first for us it has to be one of the most important because we have so many different people within our organizations, whether they're Jake and Gino students, whether they're people who are renting our apartments or the residents, or they're just simply investors who are investing in our deals. So we need to put people first. And myself as the leader, hey, I'll do anything that needs to get done. I'll pack books, I'll ship swag, I'll get in a coaching call at eight o'clock because we have to put people first. And if you're a leader and you're writing these core values down, you need to exemplify them and you need to live them. And that's how you show your team members hey, you know what? Yesterday was Labor Day. I worked yesterday, Labor Day, for a couple hours because I know it's going to be a really tough week this week. So, Me leading that and showing that I will make it happen and I have extreme ownership, that will show and it will trickle down to the rest of the team. And what I've noticed, especially with the younger generations, and I I admire them for this, they work for a cause, not just for a paycheck. If you can show them a cause of what we're doing at Jake and Gino, over 20,000 units that students have bought over billion dollars in transactions over 50 students who have left their w2 jobs if we can exhibit that and show that to our team members that's what we're doing we're putting people first and we're changing people's lives it's going to be a lot easier to find employees who want to work with you it's going to be easy to find employees who don't they're gone we don't have to waste our time with them because they don't exhibit the core values but it's going to be so much easier and enlightening for the people working for you and they're not even just going to work harder for a paycheck they're going to work harder for the cause
2: yeah. you know First of all, going through the Stephen Covey exercise, I haven't done that in a long time. It's just such a moving experience to go that far forward and and be reminded of that. And if for any of our listeners who haven't done that before, it's just amazing how that evolves and how, you know, that vision gets more detailed and becomes more vivid. And, you know, that like being a, a business owner really takes that type of kind of that planning and that coming up with the strategy of how to reverse engineer that. And so thank you for putting us like, that was, that was kind of moving for me, which is, which
1: is pretty cool. Um, Well, you know, what's cool about it? I did it too. And when I did it years and years ago, It really didn't work for me because I wasn't there yet. I wasn't ready. I wasn't receptive. I didn't have the clarity. I lacked clarity, I lacked momentum. Once I understood the power of that and I understood that long-term mindset, it just makes total sense to me now. And I try to revisit it. And by the way, I told you I was gonna sing on the podcast, so I snuck that in a little bit. I'm not gonna make it a musical, but (laughs) but to me it's moving. And music is important to me now because my kids all sing and it's part of our daily routine, right? We pray together and we sing together. So that's something where my long-term mindset is going that's going to be part of our life for the remainder of our lives. So it is moving and I would tell everybody revisit it. When you shut the podcast off, go to yourself in a quiet corner, shut everything down, put all the distractions away and think about what you want to be remembered for. And I'm going to tell you one thing. One of the most important things that I found is that the contribution aspect of it is more important than anything else. You know, your quality of your life comes back to the quality of your, you know, experiences that you had and of your memories, and I have a lot of really cool memories. But the, a lot of my cool memories are helping students. I mean, helping people out, being able to donate to charities, being able to go down on Thanksgiving and cook for the friars for their whole entire neighborhood. Those kind of memories are really important, and that's why money's important. I couldn't do a lot of this stuff without having money. You know, no margin, no mission. We need to make money. It's not the love of money that's bad. It's you know, when you're looking. To that, use money as the tool. That's what we're trying to do as business owners. Money is giving us freedom, allowing us the freedom to make those choices. Whereas, like I said, I have six kids Man, remember five, six, seven years ago, I was getting these stupid dental bills, five grand for braces, 300 for glasses. And after a while, you're getting burned out. And I became clear I had that vision. I wasn't just wanting to work, become financially free to go buy the big house or the really fast cars. I just wanted to provide options for my family. So when you have six kids and you're doing opera, it's not cheap have tennis lessons, opera lessons. They have pottery now. They have gymnastics. The bills mount up, but that money has allowed me to create these experiences. So don't look at money as an evil thing, everybody out there. A lot of people do. Look at it as the tool that will allow you to do things in life that you were never able to do. I wasn't able to do a lot of this stuff years and years ago because I was always worried about overspending and not having enough money. And don't focus on that. Focus on what money can do for you and how you're going to be able to live an amazing life by utilizing that tool.
2: I've always heard the, you know, look at money as a tool, but throwing in the, you know, kind of the love of money. And and that basically comes out of the Bible is like the Mm -hmm. love of money is sin, but just like seeing it as a tool that allows you to do the things. And if you kind of separate that, it's a new frame, new mindset. So kind of jumping back to core values and how that Allows you to develop teammates or team members. Mm-hmm. How do you develop those resources so that you're able to do more and you're able to, you know, scale up?
1: Well, to develop the resources is all about personal development. Because I'll give you, I give you a quick story. When Jake and I first started buying deals, and I was really in tune to this because I had done this most the majority of my life. We're taught the I'm a mentality. I'm gonna do this and I'm gonna do that. And I'm gonna go collect the rent and I'm gonna cut the grass and I'm gonna cut the trees down with the chainsaw. That works really well when you have 10 and 15 and 20 units. But once you start scaling up, you have to understand that you can't do everything. And it's okay if somebody does it 80% as good as you, because you can focus on things that are much more important. That's the hard journey of the entrepreneur. Because in the very beginning, we need to bootstrap, but we can't, you know, can't sometimes we can't afford to do stuff. But as you start that evolution of personal growth and start you know surrounding yourself with people who are smarter than you, who have more experience than you, who can coach you upon these things. That's what helped me to understand that, you know what, Jake, maybe we shouldn't be spending 25 bucks an hour on the bookkeeping. Maybe it's better to source that out to a bookkeeper, an internal bookkeeper. And Jake, by the way, why the heck are you editing all these podcasts every week? You're spending two or three hours on $15 an hour work. And I used to do that at the restaurant. I'd be washing dishes. The heck am I doing washing dishes? That's a $12 an hour task. But it's very hard to begin. So I think you have to have the self-realization that you have to find out what you truly enjoy, what you truly excel at, and start focusing on that and take baby steps. You know, and, and the thing is, when you're starting out, the systems is, is vital. When I had my restaurant, I didn't have systems. People would walk in the restaurant. They'd be greeted differently. The phone would be answered. They'd be answering it differently. It was no one set system. And systems don't have to be complicated. They're a constant evolution. You're constantly growing. Whatever you're doing, these mundane tasks that you're doing all the time, try to document them. And then once you get good at it and they're documented, pass them off to somebody. And then start doing the same thing for another system. You know, answering the phone. How do you answer the phone? Training an employee. Having an employee's manual how to handle a weekly lesson. We're doing this MM4 in October 23rd and 24th. I created an entire system. So next year it's on autopilot, whether you're going to you know, be sending out emails, the pricing, you know, talk, working with affiliates, it's all being built out as we speak and it'll be a lot easier. It's almost like a turnkey system, but it's very hard in the beginning. You just need to grow with that and you need to be able to invest in that education. We were able to hire coaches for scaling up and it really truly helped us out, and it gave us the idea that you can 't do it all yourself, you need to focus on on team members, and you need to really invest in your employees because that 's the biggest rois when you can invest in your employees, and they can help you with a lot of the burdens. I used to pack books all the time, I used to send out needless emails. I've got people helping me out with that right now. And, and if I didn't, I wouldn't be able to be on this podcast. I wouldn't be able to affect so many other people doing it. I wouldn't be able to, you know, go towards other business opportunities. So start out by seeing where you can cut, you know, these tasks that you can outsource, and you can get somebody to do the work for you. And obviously, you'd like to set up a system so when you hire them, they know exactly what they need to do and they can follow that framework that you've created for them. And then obviously, you want to dictate, delegate. You don't want to totally disappear because you just want to be able to check their work monthly, whether you have a monthly call with them. Very simple with the bookkeeper. That's what we do. We have a monthly financial planning with her. She goes through all the credit card tr- transactions, whatever she does understand. I'll go through with her. I'm not inputting every single thing. That'd be hours a week of my life. And you know, if I can't find you know, a task that makes me more than 25 bucks an hour, then I shouldn't be in business for myself. That makes sense?
2: It does. So Yeah, that, that makes a ton of sense. One area where I struggle is I also have a little bit of that. I'm a mentality and kind of transitioning that to where I'm holding others, you know, like delegating a task and then some sort of accountability when it comes to them completing it. And I just struggle there. Like if I I've got this problem where I'll, you know, just hand it off and then never check on it again and then it fails. And so let
1: me give you let me give you an option of what you can do to sort of maybe alleviate that or maybe give you an idea of how I tried I overcame that. We have our quarterly meetings. We have a quarterly meeting planning this Friday. And our quarterly meeting, we need to set our priorities for the next quarter. A priority is anything that is more than eight hours. A task is anything that goes towards a priority. So let's say our priority for next quarter is to build a website. Somebody on the team is going to take the lead because if me and you are both leading it, then there's nobody leading it. You need to have one person who's accountable. That person's accountable. They're going to set the entire thing up. They're going to prioritize website. What are the tasks involved now in that thing, in that that building the website? Obviously, SEO, obviously design, obviously hiring the company, set that all up. And then from there, you have your quarterly priorities. We have a weekly huddle. Every Monday morning at 8 a.m., we get on with our executive team. What that executive team is, goes through our wins of the week, goes through our business highs, business lows. We were we actually every Monday read the Rockefeller Habits. There's ten rock habits on there, and we talk about our big, hairy, audacious goals. We all have B Hags for, for every one of our entities, whether it's the property management, the education, the investment arm of the, of the company, and then we go into our quarterly priorities. And if you can't measure it, then you can't manage it. Every week we discuss oh website. Yes. This week we checked off. We spoke to the SEO person. Next week I have a schedule. So you have to go through them and how you do it is on a weekly call with the person. And then on there we'll say, okay, Gino website. Gino, what have you done with the website so far? So every week we're checking in, but you need to establish what the priority is first and then create what tasks need to be involved. And then you have a weekly huddle. And then on top of that, we have what we call from Traction, or weekly level 10 meetings where every week I'm on the call, whether it's with the sales team, whether it's with our operations manager, whether it's with our booking are every week, I have special calls with all these individuals going through what their quarterly priorities are going through what their tasks are. And then, you know, Jake and I, and like you, we're all shotgunners. We have so many freaking ideas. If it's overwhelming to the team, we have what we call on our weekly level 10 sheet, our parking lot. That's a great idea, but not this quarter, next quarter. So for us... You really need to create that kind of structure and that kind of discipline. And you need to put somebody in charge. And if you don't put them in charge, then there's nobody in charge. They need to get back to you. You need to have that constant communication with that. And once again, you need to set what we call KPIs, key performance indicators. How are you going to do it? And you know what does done look like? And obviously, it's great. By the end of the quarter, we have a lot of green in our sheet. Green means that the task is the priority has been completed, and that's what we're all ultimately trying to do. And it's one of those things where if you don't finish it in the quarter, but it's almost done, hey, move it to the next quarter. And I'll give you a quick example. When when COVID started back in March of last year, we didn't have a quarterly priority. We kept pushing off for virtual leasing. Well, guess what? Everything else went off the docket and virtual leasing became a quarterly priority in March right then and there because people couldn't, get into, get, couldn't yeah. get into apartments, couldn't get into offices. So you need to be flexible at the same time and use great judgment, but you just need to know what those quarterly priorities are. What's going to move the needle the most in your organization? For us right now, it's marketing, all hands on deck with marketing for Jake and Gino. So know what you need to do in your organization and set up priorities based on on those needs.
0: Yeah, love all that, you know, that is awesome stuff. We definitely try to, we do our quarterly meetings and set priorities, but I like the idea of that parking lot. It's like, we just like a list of where, you know, all these great ideas can go. And, you know, the next quarterly meeting, when you're looking for something to do, you can revisit that parking lot and be like, okay, what's going to move the needle the most? one of the things that Chris and I do is we we attend some conferences here and there and you you, know, you get a bunch of ideas. It's like drinking from a fire hose a lot of times. And yes. One of the best ways to like differentiate ideas is like we number them from like one to 10 on like the ease of implementation. And then again, a one to 10 on like how much money is it going to make us? And like mm-hmm. the easiest one to implement for the most amount of money is usually, you know, we try to pick those top three and really, really move forward with those. So I like that. That's that's always, yeah, it's just kind of a way to like, especially with my brother and I being partners, we don't necessarily always agree, but that's an easy way to measure it and like take an an unbiased look at it. (laughs) That's a systematic approach. So, well, awesome. I think what my brother, another kind of like question my brother was getting at is, you know, you you talked about like the follow-up and, you know, the reporting on this, but what are some of the things that you do to set up the task or the process to be delegated? Like I think a lot of times you said earlier that like nobody can do it as good as us. Like we run into that all the time. Like we are super efficient. We get a ton of stuff done. We hand it off and then like it just doesn't happen the way we want it to happen. Do you have any like tricks of the trade or any any good suggestions? I know that one of the things i try to do is be very clear with the process have it written down and easy to understand but a lot uh, of times that's a,
1: it's a it's a difficult question because first of all do you have the right butts in the right seats i, I mean sometimes maybe yep. the employee we hired an ops manager a year and a half ago he wasn't the right fit for an ops manager, but he's amazing at our YouTube. He's amazing amazing at the live event schedule. We just hired an executive assistant. She's a freaking rock star processor. She's great. I call her my bookings czar for my podcast. She does so many wonderful things. I think, first of all, you really maybe should do a disc assessment or some type of assessment for all of your employees. Make sure they're in the right seats because if you have a great Core value and culture fit. You don't want to lose an employee. You want to work to their strengths. I think that's the first thing. And I made a lot. Of, we made a lot of mistakes on that as well. You hire and you fire by by core values and culture. I think the other thing is you as the leader maybe need to jump in and work on that framework a little bit more and give them guidance on what needs to get done. And then obviously that that next one is you need to be on weekly calls with them to see what, to document the process of what's going on. You know every week we one of our quarterly priorities. I'm trying to think of one of the quarterly priorities this week. Well, okay. Basically, we're writing a children's book. So our executive assistants head of that, and the story the, the the story started about two months ago when when the priority when the quarter started. So what does that look like? Getting on weekly calls with the gentleman, creating a storyboard, creating characters, then actually going into the graphics, the story itself. All of those every week, there's a progression and we're making sure that we're documenting every week and we can't just disappear. I need to be on a call with Mackenzie discussing it on her L10, that process. And that's the thing. I can't load her up with too many priorities because then she's going to be overwhelmed and she won't be able to accomplish anything. So hopefully, you know, the sales team has one or two priorities. My executive assistant has one or two priorities. My ops manager has one of those priorities. And then obviously I'm gonna be one of having a couple of priorities. So it's really spread out. But having those weekly meetings and, and documenting their progress is crucial to this. We just can't say, okay, here you go. They need guidance. They need leadership. We're here to help. We're here to show them the vision. And why why would you say, you know, a kid's book? Why would we do that for Jake and Gino? I've got so many books. We've got four, five, six books out there. We resonate with families. I've got six children myself. I wanted to create a financial book for seven to ten year olds with dinosaurs and talking about, you know, creative caterpillar and responsible rhino and these characters that kids can really enjoy, since we have so many families in the community, buy this book for the kids and it's really a brand builder. So that's that will move the needle for us as far as continuing to create the brand for Jake and Gino. Part of my core value, right? 30 years from now, I want people to be able to continue to read my books and I want to really affect families and have more parents having more kids. Right? That's what, one of my goals is to show how amazing family life is. And how do I do that? Well, let me start writing kids' books and let me start showing how easy it is to teach kids the value of money and the value of entrepreneurship and the value of our decisions. Right? That's really important. So for me, that's how that priority became about. I have an amazing person on the team to help me out. I found somebody to help us write the book. You put all three of those together get on weekly calls and you have to execute as the leader and you have to continue to show your vision. And she's, she's totally bought in. She loves the idea. He does a great job writing the book because he's the one who's got the experience and I'm there making sure that everything gets pulled through. Does that answer your question?
0: I think so. And Gino, you know, I want to say like the idea of a kid's book relating to finances is an incredible, that's a wonder. I think that that is lacking in the education system a ton. And I think that that is an incredible feat. So I am super excited to grab that once it comes out. Thank you. Appreciate that. Well, I think we're kind of
2: closing down on time now. Christy, should we get to the last four questions? Ooh, I have one more question. This is going to be a good one. So Gino you know, with all of those ideas out there and all, you know, all of these opportunities, how do you choose what not to do?
1: Oh, that's really easy. Like I said, I just go back to my core values. If it doesn't align with my core values, I'll give you an example. I love crypto. I'm into crypto. I'm not going to spend an inordinate amount of time learning how to Trade cryptocurrency. I have a friend who's an expert. I'll ask him and I'll put a little bit of money towards that. I'm not gonna bet the bank that's not something that I'm gonna veer towards or start a new crypto trading. So for me, it's real easy. How is it going to uphold my values going forward? And and like I said, it has to be long term. I have to be able to see the vision. Writing all these books for Jake and Gino takes a lot of time, takes a lot of energy, takes a lot of emotion, takes a lot of bandwidth. But My long-term vision for Jake and Gino is to be a leader in education, is to be able to offer these books. When somebody can't afford a $20,000 mentorship – although I think the vast majority of people should because that's a drop in the bucket if you're looking the next 20 to 30 years. a thousand bucks a year for the next 20 years if you want to rip it down. But if p- certain people can't, I want to be able to offer them all of these books. I want to be able to build a brand and have people say, hmm, Jake and Gino, they're top educators in the multifamily space. So for me, that's how I chose and I put a lot of my effort towards these books because as you guys know, writing a book is not going to make you a lot of money. It's just not. It just lends to the credibility and it lends to the credence of the brand. So I think that's how i make decisions going forward just thinking about what i want to achieve what i want what my life wants to look like 30 years from now and i've gotten you know a ton of different opportunities i could have gone into the single family space or built to rent i just didn't choose to do that because it didn't align with what i'm doing i'm in the multifamily space i'm a multifamily educator i need to continue to get good at that i don't want to veer off into self storage or even into rv parks they may be a better niche but long term It's not going to benefit the Jake and Gino community. It's not going to benefit me.
2: All right. Thank you. I like that a lot.
0: Yeah. I appreciate that. All right. I'm going to start us off with the first question. What's one piece of advice you would give to your 25 year old self?
1: Man, work for financial freedom. Try to do whatever you can to knock out that nut every, every month and try to replace it. I'd probably buy a triplex or a quad, go live in one and rent out the other three. And then all of a sudden when I'm financially free, I can figure out I've got all my bills paid. Now what do I want to do? And just continue to learn how to become an amazing investor because we're not taught how to invest money. We're not taught how to invest in ourselves and ultimately invest in personal development. It's all about the mindset. 80% psychological, 20% mechanical. Anybody can learn what a cap rate is. Anybody can learn what a cash on cash return is. Not many people can get over the mental hurdle of fear. If you can work on yourself and your personal development, and getting clarity in on your why, you're going to crush it in life.
2: I love it. Yeah, especially, you know, through COVID, I think that there is going to be so many people coming out of, out of COVID with that you know, needing that, needing that type of mindset, there's going to be a boom when I personally believe. Okay. So next question. What was your first entrepreneurial endeavor?
1: Wow. Going all the way back for me. I'm trying to think the very first thing. Entrepreneurial, I started working in the kitchen with my dad when I was eight made two bucks a day, thought I was the richest guy on the planet. Then I started delivering newspapers around 10 years old, 11 years old. And I can't believe my parents actually let me get on a bike, deliver the neighborhood, go knock on strangers' doors, asking for money at 10 years old. 50 bucks a week I was making back in 1980. It was a ton of money. But for me, I was just addicted to that dopamine where you're going out, you're doing work, you're getting paid. You're doing work and you're getting paid. I love that attraction to be able to bring the newspaper to somebody because back then we didn't have the internet. No, everyone relied on that newspaper. And I remember my mom coming home from the beach late in the summertime, like, mom, I need to get home. I have to deliver my papers. So for me, that responsibility was one of those values that I just ingrained early on, a commitment and consistency. When I commit to something, I need to be consistent. So that was dug into me early on as I want to call it entrepreneurial venture, but I said 50 bucks a week was a lot of money back then. And I loved, I loved that job. Awesome.
0: Yeah. A lot of people start out with, you know, those, those type of jobs and that is a good start. All right. How has your formal and informal training shaped your journey?
1: Well, I guess if you say by formal, meaning going to college, I loved college for me. I learned. I was a finance major. I learned how to learn. I enjoyed it. it didn't really help me in the, in the business world because when I went to work for AIG years and years ago, I lasted there a year and I wasn't an employee. I found out that I just couldn't work for anybody else. So for me, it was just, it was just one of those things where, okay, did it. I got my degree, but I continued to go on. I, I continued. I actually went to cooking school, became a chef, and I enjoyed that aspect of my life. I loved the structure. I loved to learn from others. The informal is where you really do well at. Like I said, I've spent hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars in personal development. I actually went to IPEC for coaching. I became a certified life coach. I love that aspect of it, being able to ask questions, being able to you know, use all those skills to help others, and more importantly, to help myself, to get clarity on myself. That was really important. So for me, the informal training is by far been much more impactful. And I've been able to use it. And ultimately, I want to learn what what I need to learn the skills I learned multifamily through coaching and through mentorship, I learned a lot of these investment techniques through the informal learning through reading books, and listening to podcasts. So for me, it's, you know, one of the core values is being a lifelong learner growth mindset and constant learning. So I've embodied that through my whole life. And I will continue. And that's one of the reasons why I started Jake and G, you know, you know, we learn, we do, and then we teach. And as we teach, we get to be much better doers. So for me, it's been really a yep. blessing in the skies. Okay. We
0: we always tell our employees that like if they can if they can teach the subject, they're going to have to learn it ninety ninety five percent more than if you're just doing it. So
1: that's great advice. Go. All
2: right, Dino. Our last question: What was your biggest mistake, and what did you learn?
1: Gosh, we got like three hours to go on this one. There's a couple. I'll give you two quick stories. <laughs> The first story was my first real investment outside of the restaurant. I remember my partner brought me in, and a good friend of mine, and he brought me in on this deal. And it wasn't the deal so much to say, but it was more of me. I, I didn't know anything about due diligence. I didn't know anything about mobile home park investing. I didn't know anything about partnering. I didn't know syndication. I just had a lot of money. And I thought, hey, putting it with this person, I'm going to do great. And that was probably one of the biggest mistakes. And, and you know, we always look at mistakes as you know, learning lessons. And for me, that was because that really lit a fire under my ass. And I said, you know what? He's a jerk. He's a terrible partner, but I need to take responsibility. What did I do wrong here? I had no idea what the hell I was doing. I was just, you know, people always say, Hey, you know, if you got money to make cover up your mistakes, well, I lost my money and it showed my mistakes. And I ultimately said, how do I learn? How do I get better? And that pushed me into the coaching and into the mentorship and multifamily. And I think the other, the other, the other mistake that I made, I remember years and years ago, but Ten years ago, I was going through an audit with the state, and I just felt really, really depressed and sad and went to go speak to my priest. And I remember sitting in there and I'm telling him about my problem and looking back at it now, it really wasn't a problem. And I thought I was gonna get some sympathy from the guy. And he it turns out to me and he goes, Gino the hell you complaining about? You got enough. And I said, you know, God, you didn't have to be so direct. And, and I think that mistake for me was ultimately feeling sorry for myself, not being grateful for what I really actually do have. Because most of the people on this planet will be grateful for what we have in this country. And that gave me that vision to say, man, there are so many bigger problems than what I have right now. And then ultimately looking at it as a problem, which turned into an opportunity because that instant right there, Lit my fire. I became crystal clear that I did not want to be in the restaurant business anymore, that I did not want to do that anymore. And that led me towards the path of multifamily. So he got through a great problem in my way. I looked at it and I was intelligent enough to say, you know what, I need to take responsibility. And that was the era. Two, three years before that, that I started taking responsibility. Just that when you get hit with something that's life-altering, you think the world's gonna end. You go into fear mode, and fear leads to inability to act. And then once I became angry with the situation, I got some clarity, you know, that problem really turned it into an opportunity for me.
2: Cool. Yeah. I feel like all the biggest mistakes in my life have come with such a huge lesson and you know, the frame of. I am the reason why for some whatever way that that happened, that biggest mistake it's on me. Like, and Mm -hmm. so learning from that mistake is, is the best way to, and getting past, you know, the why me and Mm -hmm. feeling sorry for yourself is always where the true learning and the true growth comes from. Mm -hmm. Well said. So thank you so much for sharing, being open and, Like, that's really, really cool. Thank you.
0: And Gino, you know, really appreciate having you on the show. If our listeners want to get a hold of you or learn more about you, do you want to give some contact info or or where they should search out?
1: Yeah, sure. Just go to jakeandgino.com. Everything's on our website. We do weekly podcasts. We have four different shows. We have a YouTube channel. There's just so much information out there. Go check us out. In October 23rd and 24th, we are having our MM4 Multifamily Master Before live event in Orlando. To date, we have over 600 tickets sold. So we're probably gonna have about 800 investors in a room in Orlando on the 23rd and 24th. So hope to see you all there. Just go on the website and you'll get more information about it. Exciting. Yeah. Thanks so much, Gino. Awesome. Well, thank you.
0: Hey. Thank you, Gino.
1: AJ and Chris, thanks for having me on. And everybody out there, just do that that exercise that I shared with you and I will really put some clarity into your life and, you know, if we can all strive towards that picture, we're all going to make better decisions in life.
2: Absolutely. All right. Thank you. Thanks guys. Cheers.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of The Real Estate Professionals Investing Podcast on Win. Your community of investing knowledge for growth. We hope that this episode has increased your knowledge and added value to your path to freedom. If you would, please take a second to rate us so that we can get more great investors to interview. If you or someone that you know wants to be on, please visit westsideinvestors.com and fill out our form to be on the show. Thank you again and enjoy your day.